Throughout the history of Christianity, there has always been one practice that has been universal amongst believers. One practice that scales the oceans and the myriad of times that exists throughout our history. Whether you be in Indonesia or China, whether it was the first century, the fifth, the tenth, the fifteenth, or today, there's one practice that believers in Christ Jesus have always been able to participate in. One practice in which they could always have relationship with God Almighty. One practice that bonds everyone together. You might say, is that communion? No. Baptism? No. The church? No. Many of our brothers and sisters, even today, aren't able to openly practice those or be a part. What about the Bible? Sadly, no, not the Bible. Matter of fact, even if you go back just a little over 300 years ago, most people didn't even have a Bible. If you go back four and 500 years ago, uh, up from the time of the first century, many people couldn't read even if they had one. So it's not scripture. The one practice that has always united believers and has always been a way that every believer could connect to God Almighty was that of prayer. Prayer. My question to you today is, how is your prayer life? Prayer. Stanley Jones, E. Stanley Jones, gives this quote on prayer. He says, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch a hold of the shore and pull it, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but God pulling me to his. It's a beautiful understanding of prayer. And we're going to look at Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11 today. And we're going to see when Jesus is asked this question, by the way, there's only one time in all of Scripture that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. And the specific request was, teach us to pray. And in this section, we're going to see, first of all, we're going to see a pattern of prayer that he gives us in verses 2 through 3. And then in verse 5 through 10, we'll see the perspective, and it's in a parable form, the perspective in parable of prayer. And then thirdly, in verse 11 through 13, we'll see the promise in prayer. So we see the pattern, the perspective, the promise of prayer. Maybe you're like me, though, and sometimes your prayer may go something like this. Maybe your prayer might be something of this nature. You know, Lord, so far today... I've done pretty good. I haven't been rude to anybody. I haven't been disrespectful. I haven't yelled or screamed at my children. I haven't been angry with my wife. I haven't gossiped. I haven't done anything of that nature. I've done really very well so far this day, God. But in just a couple of minutes, I'm going to have to get out of bed. And when I do, I'm going to really need your help at that point. Maybe some of you can resonate with that prayer. And most of us, I think, in all honesty, probably could. 
But what does Jesus teach about this important discipline and practice of prayer? By the way, there's a book that I used uh, for some of my interpretation uh, on the parable that we're going to look at. And uh, if you are interested in that, I'll, I'll have this up here if you want to know more about it. Uh, but it gives some background and some cultural context. And it's called uh, Poets and Peasant by Dr. Kenneth Bailey, who is a renowned New Testament scholar. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Now, a, a recap from last week. If you remember the stories about Mary and Martha, you can hear this uh, on the podcast if you want to get on our site and listen to it. <clears throat> but in the last couple of verses, Jesus confronts Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, uh, you are distracted and worried about many things, but there's one thing uh, that you need to be concerned with, basically. He's saying there's one thing that you need to be concerned with, and Mary has done this, and it is the best part. It is the one thing. It is the best part. And we talked about part uh, being a place. Uh, when we talk about prayer and worship, there being a place and an attitude, and that there also being a relationship, and then having a time. And we talked about that being a part. Well, it's no coincidence this, this, this very next chapter is right next to chapter 10. Now, if uh, some of you know this, but those of you who don't, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapters and verses. So when Luke's gospel is being written, it's all one big letter, and there are no chapter and verses. That was, as a matter of fact, that wasn't added to about 700 years ago. Uh, so initially, it's just one letter. So these two sections of Scripture are on purpose right next to each other. It's part of the letter. It's the next part. He's asking, what is the best part? I mean, he's made this, he's established this fact. What is the best part? And then Jesus specifically goes into prayer, us understanding what prayer is. So it's there uh, for a reason, on purpose, intentionally. So we start here in chapter 11, and we start with verse 1, and we see Jesus was praying again in a certain place. Jesus had a habit of going to a place, having a place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So this is the one time that the disciples asked them, asked Jesus to teach them something. He said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. John taught his disciples to pray. And it must have been remarkably different than the way that they had grown up praying or that they had heard other rabbis and leaders pray. It's very personal, we'll see. And then he gives them the pattern or the outline, if you want to call it. Now, the fuller version of this, of course, is in, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. But Jesus, uh, again, gives them this outline. He then gives them this pattern. He's not saying you only pray these words, but he said, here's how you start. Here's a pattern for you. Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said, when you pray, say, Father... No, right there, that's, that was unusual for their culture. They didn't call God Father. We only see, see God referenced his Father a couple of times in the Old Testament. And even then, it's corporately, uh, talking about the nation of Israel. But we see over well over 100 times, we see that term being used in prayer in the New Testament. Jesus is, this is kind of an inauguration. This relationship, remember we talked about the best part. It's a relationship. Abba, Father, Daddy. That close tie-in, that personal relationship. Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, Father, holy, hallowed, sacred, honorable is your name. So this is how you start. Relationally, 
recognizing the holiness and the power, the integrity and the character of who you're talking to, the God of the universe, the God who created all things. Your kingdom come. Notice he says, your kingdom, not my kingdom, not what I'm wishing, but your kingdom come. Remember the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then the other things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. So he starts off right here, first seeking the kingdom of God. When you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. <clears throat> Virtually every commentator says that the daily bread, if you, you can tie this back uh, here in just a moment to the, to the next parable that we'll have, but uh, it, it means your daily substance, what you have to have to survive for that day. Now, that's hard for us to understand here in Flower Mound, Texas today, Okay. Because none of us, I, I don't see anybody in here that looks hungry, all right? I mean, not like real hungry, not like a ding-dong hungry, but like real hungry, like you had not had anything in the last three days, okay? We've, we all have a, enough to eat. And he's saying, but in a day and time where many just worked to survive for that day to have enough food to eat, he's saying, give us, God, what we have to have, our essentials. Provide for us our our essentials to live, to survive, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Uh, Notice that word, who's indebted to us. What does it mean to forgive? It means to release debt. Doesn't mean that you become best friends again. Doesn't mean that there aren't penalties uh, for sin or consequences for uh, choices or harms, but it does mean being released from the debt. The picture is you're being forgiven your debt. We re, you release others from their debts. And lead us not into temptation. Now, sometimes people get confused because doesn't the, gospel, or the book of James say God tempts no one? That is true. Uh, the, the, the best way to understand this, remember it was being written in poetic form at this point. After it's translated from uh, the Aramaic, it was spoken into, into the Greek to English. Lead us not in temptation. Lord, don't let temptation overcome us. Do not let us be overtaken by temptation. That's what he's saying here. All right, so we see this pattern for prayer. This is the way to begin. It's not the whole prayer. It's not that you're done praying now, but this is the way to begin. This is the proper perspective, the proper attitude. And then he continues, and now he's going to give the parable or the perspective of prayer. Now, Again, I want you to listen to me because I know uh, for some this is maybe not the traditional way that you've understood this parable, but I think it's very important that we understand who Jesus was talking to, the cultural uh, significance of what's going on and why it's being said and how they would have understood it. That's called proper hermeneutics. Okay, We can't just take our 21st century lens and just go, well, this is what it says for me right here. We have to understand the context of which it's given, Okay. Uh, and, and by the way, I think uh, it, as we understand this, it'll bring a little bit more light and understanding. Now, with that said, he said to them, um, and by the way, this is in, uh, in the Greek, this is a question. And literally, it, it's saying right here, it's, it's giving us an understanding of tizek human, is what he's saying. Which of you? And probably for us in our expression today, can you imagine someone or have, could you have a friend or do you have any friends like this? Which of you? It's a, it's a direct question that's being asked here, okay? So he's asking a question. So he's hypothetically saying, 
Can you imagine a friend, or do you have any friends like this? Now, there's something to understand about the cultural context of which this is being written and said, and it's still true in the Middle East today, and even in the Philippines where I lived for a while, this is still true. Uh, In our culture today, we are a guilt-based culture, so to speak. But they, uh, in the Middle East, are shame-based culture. And there's two huge, for their whole culture, there, there are two huge cultural values that everyone is expected to live by. The first one is that of hospitality, and we're going to see that worked out in this text. The second one is uh, the culture of shamelessness, okay? In other words, or, and we might even use, for our, our vernacular, we might even use the word of honor, okay? So what does that mean? What it means is you don't do anything that brings shame on your name or the name of your family or your community. At all costs, you avoid shame, the shame of your family name, of your family unit, and your community, which often that community might be relatives, at least close friends. So you make sure that you bring honor to that name, and you don't do anything that shames it, okay? With that understanding, let's continue to read the text. So he said, which if you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, Remember we said earlier, uh, give us this day our daily bread. This is a basic necessity, these three loaves. I need the basic necessity of life. And also, understanding that bread was used as utensils during that time. If you only had bread, sometimes you only had bread and that was all you had. Uh, and that was, that was a very meager day if that's all you had. But hopefully you had some kind of broth or stew and back then, uh, most people, unless you were very, very affluent, didn't have utensils, what would they use? They would use the bread, and they would put that bread in there, and they would put the bread in the broth or in the stew or whatever it was. It might have been vegetables, and they would put that on there, and they would eat it, and they would use it as their utensil. So it's a very basic element, a very basic. So they're coming asking for basics, and they're coming to you as a friend. They're coming to you as a neighbor. And he's saying, can you imagine a friend uh, can you imagine having a friend who would do this? And he says, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Remember this culture. What is this culture based on? It's based, first of all, hospitality, huge. Secondly, shamelessness, okay? The, the, the culture of shame. So I don't want to be ashamed. First, I want to be a good host. This represents my family. This represents the community. And I have nothing to set before and I don't want to be shamed. So, The Bible continues and it says, he will answer from within, do not bother me. He's saying, can you, again, he's saying, can you imagine someone saying, you've gone at midnight, you've gone late at night, and you've knocked on the door and you go, hey, look, I just need some bread. Can you imagine a friend who would say this? Do not bother me. The door is shut and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, in Denton County, we can imagine that very easily. Somebody's knocking on our door. We just pretend like they're not there because we have big insulated houses. We pretend like we're sleeping. I never heard the door. I never heard the doorbell. I never heard the knock. But in, in, in the ancient Mideast, you know, the doors were pretty thin. You could probably see cracks in the doors. You could probably see the floor. You knew somebody was there. It wasn't like you couldn't hear it. They know they're there, and they're knocking on the door, so you would be purposely avoiding. You wouldn't do that. You particularly would not do that to a friend, but you wouldn't even do that to a neighbor that maybe you weren't even close with because of your value of hospitality and shamelessness, okay? So can you imagine a friend who would do that, who would say that's what Jesus said? Can you imagine someone who would say, I can't give you anything. I know I'm your friend. I know I'm next door, but forget it. 
I can't do anything for you. This would be, uh, this would be considered atrocious. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him everything he needs. This is not a word that we use a lot even today, and this is probably a poor word of translation here. Um, the Greek word actually here that's used is uh, called um, ananiate. And this ananiate is the understanding, again, of shamelessness. That's what it means to be shamelessness. That's the, that's the picture here. And here's how we commonly misunderstand it. By the way, we have a tendency to always read it and go, oh, that's me. We think the parable is about us. The parable is primarily about God. There's a principle called the greater or the lesser, the greater to the lesser. Um, you don't need to turn right now, but if you want further study, something extra to do. If you look at the parable of the uh, unjust judge where the widow comes in Luke chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. You, some of you remember the story. I preached on it a couple of years ago. Uh, the widow comes, and she has a valid right uh, for some inheritance for something that she's owed, but she can't get it because she's a widow. She's asking the judge, but the judge didn't want it. He didn't want to mess with it because there's no benefit for him. But finally, because the widow continues, he says, not because I fear God or man, but because she continues to be so persistent. She continues to bother me. I'm going to give her what she rightfully deserves. Okay, that was a parable. And sometimes people read that and they go, oh, and that means we just keep bothering God till we get what we want. We just keep on annoying him till he just gives us whatever we want. And that's not the point at all, okay? What was the point of that parable? It's the greater or lesser then. God being a gracious and loving and most honoring God of high character will always do it right. Even the lesser, even an unjust judge will eventually, because of the Adoniadin, because of the shame that's why he's doing it. The judge is doing it. Because of the shame, if he doesn't do it, because people are going to hear about it, that's why he eventually does it, because of his character and because of his name. So the same thing principle is at work here. Because of God's, not because of his, because of God, because of his character, because of his word, because of his integrity, his shamelessness, the Bible says he will rise and give him whatever he needs not because you've earned it or because you deserved it, but because of his covenant, because of his honor, because he is the father, he will grant that course. It's the principle of greater to lesser than. Does that make sense? The great God of the universe, even someone lesser would do, do the same. So he continues here to the next verse, 9. And I tell you now, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask. Ask of God. I want you to ask. Now, what are we asking for here? So many times, sometimes this has been misused and misguided to say, you know, if there's something you really want, just ask. If you want money, if you want cars, if you want materials, just ask. You want a hot-looking husband, just ask. And that's not what this text is talking about. What is he talking about? Well, in keeping, understanding this is God, and he's, he's about to answer this question. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it's open. And I want to skip right down. I want to tell you right where it says. Let's go ahead and skip right down here to this last line. For how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. What are we talking about? The spirit of God, the power, the presence, the direction, the wisdom, the Holy Spirit of God. So I tell you, ask and the spirit will be given unto you. Seek him and you will find him. Knock and it will be opened to you. The Spirit will open your heart. The Spirit will speak. The Spirit will go before you. For everyone who asks receives. We always receive from the Spirit when we pray and we seek the heart of God. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we have the right perspective. And then he goes on and he says, for everyone who receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you? Here's this lesser, greater principle. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, instead of a fish, gives him a serpent or a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? What father would do that? Even a bad father. Matter of fact, he even says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father who give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Who's he speaking to, by the way? He's talking to the disciples. He goes, even you, (laughs) even you. See, the greater, the lesser. Even you wouldn't, if your son came up to you and goes, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have an egg? You wouldn't give him a scorpion. I'm hungry. Can I just have one of those fish? You wouldn't give him a snake, would you? How much more do you think your heavenly Father wants to give you? And by the way, there's similitude being used right there. Um, the scorp- there were white, scorpions were white, uh, primarily in the Middle East, and they would ball up and they would look like an egg sometimes. And he's giving that picture right there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make you think you were getting something and give you something that hurt you. Even you, as a father, wouldn't do that. But you see, if you knew everything that God knew, then you would ask him for what he's giving you. But well, we don't. So let me give you a better example if you understand it. My son, when, when he was younger, we went out to um, where my parents live on the farm out in Louisiana. I remember we were walking around, and he was two, maybe three years old, and we came upon these ants that I remember when I was a kid. They're actually wasps. We call them cow ants, okay? I think y'all call them red velvet ants or something, but they're actually really wasps, but they look like ants, but they don't have wings. They can't fly, so they're ants, and, they're, and the sting is horrible, okay? You, you wouldn't want that, but they're pretty. They're kind of orange and bright and black, and he wanted to pick one up, and I wouldn't let him. You know why? Because I know that that's a terrible pet. I know that he's going to get stung and he's going to be hating his life. We're going to be going to the emergency room. I know that. But he didn't know that. All he knew is his dad's not letting him pick up that pretty ant. <laughs> that little pet, it looks like so cute. <laughs> Can't I just pick it up? No, because you don't know what I know. Because you will be screaming bloody murder and we're out in the middle of nowhere. This is going to end horribly. But, I'll, but he's crying because he can't get the ant. That's the picture right there. We don't even know what to ask for. So we ask for the wisdom of the Spirit. And if we knew what God knew, we would ask for what he gives. That's the picture that's being given to us right here. So I ask you this question as we see the pattern, the perspective, and the promise. What are you consistently praying for? And how are you seeing God respond? I'm going to ask Destin Garner and Amy Koch to come on up on stage. And I'm going to ask them to share what they're praying 
about right now and how God is responding. So Destin and Amy, if you would come on up. (laughs) They both work in our student ministry, can you tell? Well, this is Amy, and some of you had a chance to hear Amy's testimony on uh, during our Advent season. But I'm going to start with Destin here, our student minister. Let him share his story and answer that question, then Amy, if you would. So for those of you who don't know, we are uh, pregnant with our second child. Not uh, we. Not we, yeah. <laughs> Let's clarify that. Talking to you. I've never been able to get pregnant, so I'll that keep, ain't working. I'll keep my eyes All forward. Right. <laughs> so yeah, Jamie and I, Sanders Ray is going to be born in about six weeks. And uh, back in October, uh, we just had a normal sonogram at the OBGYN. And they said, hey, there might be a problem. So they sent us to a specialist who said, yes, there's definitely a problem. Who sent us to another specialist who told them what the problem is to another specialist who told us kind of how to fix the problem. And so um, what it is is she has PAIVS, which is pulmonary atresia with intact ventricular uh, septum. Um, The short and quick and dirty is that she's just got a bad heart. Uh, It didn't form. It didn't develop. And so her right ventricle never um, actually came to be, and uh, she will not be able to use her heart uh, ever. And so kind of the the course of action for us is uh, three surgeries, three heart surgeries, uh, at four days old, four months old, and around four years old um, that we'll have to go through. And so Ron asked me just, you know, what have we been praying for? Um, ultimately, we're, we're praying for the Grand Slam. You know, we're praying that God would form uh, that heart and uh, that it would work and there would be no problems or complications. Um, but we're also praying for a long, full, God-glorifying life. You know, we believe that God's got a plan and he's still sovereign over all of this. And so we're looking for that. We're trying to see that. We're praying for medical professionals that they would see things on the sonos and the echoes and, and the, the surgeries would go well. And then also we're just praying for us, me and Jamie as parents, that, that this would, you know, that temptation wouldn't overtake us like Ron talked about, that we would still love one another and be gentle and kind and patient with one another. We're praying that we would be good parents to, to Bryce and to Sanders. And so uh, for me, as we're going through this, I think one of the things you can do is you'll always find what you're looking for. And so you can look at that little heart and, and be like, why God? And get so bent out of shape over that. Or you can look at the million of other graces that the way God has provided and taken care of us. And so I think about it. I mean, there's over 4,000 different birth defects. And my daughter only has one. She doesn't have any others. And so I could every day thank him for not you know, preventing her and keeping her from another birth defect. And if I did that one a day, it would take me over 10 years just to thank him for the other 3,999 that she doesn't have. So you can look at it that way. We look at uh, the way I pray with my daughter, Bryce, now. We pray for Sanders every day, lots of times. She says, you know, Sanders is sick. Go to the doctor, make her better. She gets that. We're praying about that. It's brought us closer to him. I have a dependence on God more than I've ever had uh, now. We look at the community that we're surrounded by. Uh, our family is just incredible. Jamie's mother is just coming over while I'm working here, and Jamie's at Grave on Faith, and she's going downtown to doctor's appointments, and people are coming over and watching Bryce and just taking care of her. And the church is a huge support system, a huge answer to prayer, the way that God's providing our life, that you guys pray for us, that you come up and hug us and say you love us, and people are slipping up gift cards just to say, hey, we're, we're trying to help in any way that we possibly can. I also think about this in the Fontan procedure that my daughter's going to have. They've only been doing this thing for about 20 years. And so, again, I see God's grace in that. In the history of all mankind, the surgery that my daughter needs, she's 20 years on the right side of it. And so we're just so thankful for that. 
And so, you know, well, may God, we're, we're wanting him to heal her. We're, we're praying for the miracle. He may, and he may not. But what we do know is that he's giving us daily bread. He's sustaining us all the way through it. We have a plan. We have hope. We have support. And we have a greater God who knows truly what we need. And so we're just trying to lean into that as we kind of walk down this road. So, um, My name is Amy Koch. And um, last year, about this time, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, I had a few things to say to God about that which is amazing because he can handle stuff like that. He and I have a um, personal relationship. And um, he doesn't mind if I say a few words that I might not say to y'all. I might say to my husband, but I, might not, I, w- I wouldn't say to y'all. Um, he's okay with that um, because he's God. He's way bigger than us. Um, as um, I was really thinking about what's one thing that I have been praying about over this year, um, it, it, it's hard to put it down to one thing. Um, there have been days that um, I prayed, Jesus, could you just come back today? And um, did he answer that? I hope not, because I'm still here. <laughs> um, and you're still here, so we're hoping that that hadn't happened yet. Um, but you know what he told me, and when I say that, he spoke to my spirit. I don't know how y'all received that, but um, he said, I am here. I am here um, with you. And he, he showed that to me um, through through friends and family and, and the church. And um, quite amazing um, to see his love um, in everyone. But there, there were days, and, and you know this, there's days that nobody's there. No matter how much people try to be there, there's still sometimes a void there that <laughs> he's, no one's there. And so, um, but he is. And in this last year, he's, he's shown me that. And um, my prayers, I... Um, you know, I have fleshly prayers that, um, nobody would suffer, that babies don't have defects and people aren't homeless and that I won't have cancer and that I won't have to go through chemo and that my immune system will be good enough that I don't get pneumonia every time I turn around or get, I mean, that's my fleshly prayer. And, um, and if I looked at it like that and thought, does he answer my prayer? I would say no, because I still had cancer and I still had to do chemo and I still had to do this. But that's not what it's about. Um, And that's what I get excited about. And it's hard for me to put this down to three minutes because um, it's, it's, it's not about our flesh. And if you know Jesus, man, it's not about that. And this has been my prayer. Um, I go to scripture for prayer. Um, But in Philippians, I mean, not Philippians, um, Ephesians, where Paul is talking about he's in, um, he's in prison and people aren't understanding why he's being treated the way he is and, and, and they want, to, want him out of prison and all of this stuff. And, and he says, you, you can't worry about that kind of stuff. You can't worry about the evil in the world. You can't worry about how we're being persecuted or how we're suffering. Here's what you need to know. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. That's the one thing that he said he would give us up there. If we ask, he'll give it to us. It's his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And the way you can do that, and the only way you can do that is if you're spending time with him 
in the word. You have to be in his word to get what he has to offer. If you're not, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're going to miss out on so much he has to offer. That being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what it is, the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Not our knowledge here on earth. It's not knowledge that any of us could ever have, ever. We have to be in the spirit to get it. We have to be. That you may be filled with the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory. It's not about us. It's not about whether he heals me from cancer or doesn't heal me from cancer. I could just as easy die from cancer. That doesn't mean he doesn't love me or love my family or love the people that loves me. And if he heals, and I pray that he heals your daughter. I pray that he does. But even if he doesn't, he loves you with everything he has. He loves you. And if the last couple of years, I've, I knew that in my heart. I knew it in my mind, but I didn't receive it. And I didn't understand what that meant. Once I started praying those things and receive the love that he has for us. If you could receive that and understand the love he has for you. Then all the suffering's worth it. Because it's to lead people to Jesus. It's so that people will know Jesus. If you're here and you don't know him and you're like, I don't want any part of that. You do. It doesn't make life easier. <laughs> May even make it a little bit harder. I don't know. I don't know because I haven't lived without Jesus in a long time. But it does give you the ability to survive here on earth because your focus becomes eternal and not earthly. And your focus becomes, I want someone to feel the presence of Jesus like I do, to feel the Holy Spirit like I do. I want people to know that Jesus loves him. So he has answered my prayer in my life because I am heartbroken for things that happen to people. And I have such a compassion and empathy for it. But ultimately, I know that he loves us regardless of what our circumstances are. And there is peace in him that, that is, we don't understand. But it only comes from him. And so, yes, he's answering my prayer. Yes, I still have tons of doctor's appointments. Yes, I still have stuff I don't want to do. But when my focus becomes cross-focused and not me-focused, then he answers those prayers. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, ask somebody how to get to know him. Because he loves you so deeply. Amen. Thank you. So I'd like for us to... Pray, and I want you to think about that question. What are you consistently praying for, and how is God responding? Set your mind on his kingdom, and ask God to strengthen you for this journey. I encourage you to begin with that pattern of prayer that was given to us by Jesus. When the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray.